pretty straightforward compared to maybe years past? On signing day itself, yes. Yeah. Like, it should be exceedingly straightforward. I mean, last year it was supposed to be straightforward except for the Peyton Bowen and Cecilia Connor deals. And right. those provided enough drama to make it feel like nothing nothing was just handed to you. Which, the by the way, uh, any sign or – I didn't see Cecilia Connor make any uh, – which I'm not expecting it, but uh, I think the only real – True freshman I saw for Texas was the Anthony Hill kid, right? Well, and Malik I mean, Muhammad. Malik Muhammad ah, was a true freshman, too. And he, yeah. he made plenty of plays for that right. program. That was a huge get for Texas and one that has proven quite impactful. But, yeah, Tessilia yeah. Connor, I, I saw him at the Cotton Bowl. He walked past me into the tunnel. I was like, oh, that's Tessilia Connor. Haven't seen him in a minute. But other than that, no, mm. I, I did not see him on the field at all for Texas in 2023. Mm. What was the other kid's name? His dad played at Texas, the Big D end. Oh, Colton Vosick. Vosick, yeah, 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 that's right. That was a D commitment. Um, interesting. Well, um, I'm, like I said last hour, this, this feels like another pretty balanced class. Uh, I'm happy with everything that I've seen so far. I guess you, you never really know. Um, there's going to be some guys on there that are just as good as you hoped. There's going to be other guys that are better than you imagined, and there's going to be other guys that you never hear from again. You know, it's just kind of <laughs> how every recruiting class goes. Uh, you're not sure who those who those players are going to be. Um, what do you think about this bowl game? Are, you know, Arizona is an interesting team. You know, the big tackle for them – probably going to be a first rounder close to it anyways he as far as i know is their only opt-out and this is a team that was not very good last year although they showed some signs of improvement late uh i think they were one in 11 the year before that most of the guys on this team if they're you know have played their whole career arizona probably never played in a bowl game they're going to be amped to play in this game against Oklahoma. And they're hot, um, too. This team yes. is hot. They have won six games in a row. And they're they're, they're just really well coached. Um, they've got good quarterback play, really efficient quarterback that, that is smart with the football, um, playmaker. So uh, this is an interesting one. Now, I think a lot of people are perhaps riding Oklahoma off in this game because Dylan Gabriel isn't there. And that makes sense. You know, if if you're just kind of a casual observer uh, of college football and or you, you just follow your local team and then across the rest of the country, you just you, you stay up to date with it the best you can. To see a guy of Dylan Gabriel's caliber leave the program – would lead you to believe that okay their offense is going to struggle but around here you know not that i guess there's some people that are excited to see dylan gabriel leave but there's everyone i think is excited for jackson arnold and feel like the upside is higher than it was with dylan gabriel now i don't think most people are unrealistic and expect to see that in his first start but 
it's still exciting, and he's he's way better than I think the national people kind of looking at this game just giving it a once-over are, are thinking. So I, I don't think that the line is really, I guess, necessarily fair for the football game. Yeah, I mean, end of the day, here's, here's my take on the game, Teddy. You're welcome to agree or disagree. I, I am going to take interest in the outcome of this game and what happens over the 60 minutes therein because Jackson Arnold is the starting quarterback. And I would venture to say a lot of, a lot of the Sooner faithful feel the exact same way in that obviously they're going to watch and engage with the game either way. It's OU football. But the most compelling aspect of this football game is the fact that Jackson Arnold is starting. Because yeah. if you don't have Jackson Arnold at quarterback, if it's just the 13th game in a row of Dylan Gabriel and you're staring at either a 10-3 and season with an Alamo Bowl loss or an 11-2 and season with an Alamo Bowl victory, the stakes aren't terribly high there one way or another. But you get Jackson Arnold in the fold, it is an opportunity – to kind of create a launch pad, not just for this team into the offseason, but for Jackson Arnold as far as his chemistry with the receiving core, with Seth Luttrell as an offensive coordinator, and in terms of his overall confidence in leading this team into the SEC transition. Yeah. No, I, I think that there's, you know, plus getting the boost defensively of Stutzman and Bowman coming back Downs is going to be there uh, full strength defensively and probably going to end up being the healthiest we've been really all season um I, I guess Key Lawrence is not going to be there we lose him I think he has really good depth I think he's been a good solid player for us but you know I think what we've got in the young safeties there, more than make up for that, especially for a one-game scenario. Um, you know, I if we can block up front, I think that we can actually put together a really good football game. Defensively, I think we're going to have a really good game plan. And, again, back to the health aspect, we should be healthy, and we should go out and play one of the, the best defensive performances that we've had, especially for the back half of the season. Uh, offensively, to me, it all just comes down to can we block guys up front or not. And, you know, I, I think you can be shocked what will happen in a one-game scenario. We were shocked last year with what happened whenever we were trying to put the pieces together for, from an offensive line that was, gosh, out three starters, I think, last year as well. Um, and then Sexton goes down early in that game. Now, Arizona's got some pretty good – strong interior defensive lineman it's not going to be easy but if we can block some guys up and i know that they'll put together a game plan to help out our offensive line if they have to um i think we could actually put together a really good performance because there's plenty to be hungry about for this football team and there is no question about it it's also going to be i i think in this situation as far as the storylines and what I'm most curious about as to what happens over the 60 minutes of football the Sooners match up with the Wildcats, I think we, we have a pretty good idea of what Jackson Arnold is going to look like. We've seen him run this offense. Obviously, it'll be not the exact same with Seth Luttrell, 
calling the plays, but there will be a lot of similarities, and it'll be, in essence, the same system that he's grown accustomed to over his first year in the Crimson Cream. But I think back to Caleb Williams playing in the Alamo Bowl a couple years ago after so many of those receivers that were on the team in 2021. Jaden Hazelwood, Theo Weese, I'm trying to think there were others, Mike Woods. So many of those guys had either opted out of the bowl game or they'd entered the transfer portal. And Mm -hmm. it was there that we kind of got the first real taste of what Jalil Farouk could be because he was one of the guys that Caleb Williams was repeatedly looking toward that evening. Now, those two go back a long, long ways. I mean, they played football together from the time they were 9, 10 years old. So it made sense that Farouk was getting looks from Caleb Williams, especially in the absence of some of your key contributors at wideout. But I I think back to that BYU game where we saw Arnold play the second half, right? Mm-hmm. Farouk was actually the guy that he seemed to always be kind of keying on whenever he dropped back to pass. It was like he wanted to get the ball to Jalil Farouk if it was there. And for Dylan Gabriel, up until that point in the season, it had kind of been Drake Stoops, right? Drake Stoops was the guy he wanted to get the ball to if it was there more often than not. And so with Arnold taking the reins for a full 60 minutes, I'm interested to see what that does for maybe a guy like a Jacquez Petaway, who's got chemistry with Arnold going back to their time as recruits. Or maybe one of those guys that has been – a contributor here and there has made plays here and there, but hasn't been a regular cog in the rotation. I think of somebody like Jaden Gibson. I, I'd bet you that there will be a receiver that has what you might quantify as a breakout performance at the Alamo Bowl. I'm just curious to see who that is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm also interested in, you know, a new set of eyes. I know Joe John Finley obviously has been there, and, you know, I think he had a real big piece of the the game plan whenever they played down there against Oregon the last time we were in the Alamo Bowl. Um, But some new eyes with Luttrell game plan, putting things together, calling some plays. There's a good chance you see some new personnel, too, and I think you kind of alluded to that. I I don't know who it's going to be. Maybe it is Pedway getting in there some. Maybe maybe you see a a different mix of of several guys um, at wide receiver. I don't know. I know there's plenty of talent to go around there, but uh, I I don't know. I think it's exciting. You know, I know that Finley and and Latrell want to – want to showcase their new spin on the offense. I Say what you want about Jackson Arnold. It's it's his first start, but it's also it's going to be the fan base's first opportunity to see what, you know, this offense is going to look like moving forward. Now, it's not a fair assessment because in the final game of the season, you don't, change everything that you've done that entire year you make some small tweaks here and there but we're irrational as fans and we will draw too much of a conclusion from what the offense looks like or doesn't look like from this one performance so i i know that those guys are going to be really itching to kind of make their impression known 
and and have people kind of see what maybe is in store for the future. So, like, when you talk about that, like, there's there should not be a lack of motivation going into this game, um, you know. But still, I sometimes that does pop up for football teams, especially for a team like Oklahoma. That's you got Arizona that is thrilled to be in this game, and you got Oklahoma who feels like they probably should have been in a New Year Six. So there's. I, there's always yeah. that one team, too, that based on their performance in the bowl game kind of goes into the offseason as the media darling. Mm-hmm. Do you think Oklahoma has that? Like, especially if Arnold just lights it up, throws for 350 yards, four touchdowns. You think that could be Oklahoma? No. Really? No. And it has nothing to do with Jackson Arnold. Um, I... I don't think, and I, and I feel like we've earned this to a degree, but I don't feel like Oklahoma is going to get the benefit of the doubt on anything. I They're not going to be a media darling. I, I feel like we are going to continuously get crushed and overlooked until we finally shove people's nose in it. Not just win ten games. I, there's a, there's a good chance we go eleven and two this year, and you know everything that I see, I don't know. I can't even remember the the Twitter handle, but there's some college football Twitter handle, and they had like these different tiers of college football over the weekend, and they had like consistent. Uh, what was it? the The top tier was like con- consistent title contender. And this is what these programs were moving forward. And you had, like, Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, Ohio State, and Texas, which, yes, Texas is in that group as a consistent (laughs) title contender moving forward. And then, like, the next tier was, like, in really good shape moving forward. And then, like, we were, like, on the fourth tier of – don't know new coach i still got a kind of a new coach and you're not sure what what to think moving forward and maybe that's fair okay to say you're not sure about oklahoma moving forward we're going to the sec we've we've got a uh, a, a much more difficult schedule next year than we've had in a really long time i i get it from the outside dylan gabriel left we're going to be replacing a quarterback uh, our offensive coordinator left top five offense and we're replacing the offensive coordinator. Like you've got all of those things and they feel like they're working against you, but they, I don't think they really are. I think a lot, most of those are working for you, but like, we, we get, we get no benefit. We get no positive spin on where we are. We're about to sign a, a, a top six, perhaps, recruiting class, and maybe eleven and two football team, top ten finish, and no mention of it. Uh, we're we're still going to be the next Nebraska or the next Rutgers or whatever it was that people said. We're not going to get the benefit of anything. We're not going to be a media darling ever again until we go out and earn it. That's just how it's going to be moving forward tldr 
Oklahoma versus the world. Yeah. I mean, don't you think? Isn't that like how in the, the, the spin that you get since Lincoln left? And I think maybe it's because our fan base absolutely assaulted everyone across college football that they're just going to continue to like write that way and dismiss the program and all of that. Like, I don't know. I mean, we have earned some of it on the field with, with, with some of our play and some of our losses, but don't you get that that's kind of the overall feeling of our program right now? I don't think you're far off. Like, I, I don't think there is. <laughs> yes, I think there's merit to what you're saying. I, I, what I struggle to understand is, and maybe there's no explanation for this, at least no rational one, but how is it that Texas can have one good year and they're suddenly being elevated to the same tier as Alabama and Ohio State and Michigan and Georgia? But Oklahoma can exist at or near that tier for two decades, and then you hit a couple bumps in the road for a couple of years, and you're instantly facing relegation to the second and third tiers of college football in those people's minds. That's it'll never make sense. Yeah, that's it's wild, um, and I, it, I I'm fine with it. You know, I like I said, I, I feel like to to a certain degree we've earned it with some of our lackluster performances in games that we should win. Um, but the other part of that is, unfortunately, perception becomes reality. And if everything you read over and over and over has Oklahoma as a third-tier program, I mean, recruits and uh, other other players across the country and recruits' parents, like – People read that stuff. They believe it. As shocking as this sounds, people listen to Paul Feinbaum and actually take to heart what he says and believe what he says. People listen to Joey Galloway and believe what he says. People look at these random Twitter accounts that have a bunch of followers and they put out their list of top programs and they believe that. And so what you get is this this crazy narrative out there that actually perception turns into reality. That's the only reason I even care about it. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't care at all. Sometimes it feels like it's a concerted effort out there to totally dismiss and delegitimize anything that Oklahoma does. But I guess we've earned that. All right, uh, we're late for a timeout. Let's hit a quick break. More from the rush coming up. Hit the text line. We need to get to the uh, to the text line next. Hanging out, Newcastle Casino, I forty four exit one hundred seven. We'll be back. Rush is back. Teddy Lehman here. Parker Thune back in studio. Hanging out, Newcastle Casino today. I forty four exit one hundred seven. All right, Parker. Let's head to the text line. See what we're talking about on the old Knipple Meyer text line. Western Oki Sky Chicken out in Cheyenne says, Teddy, 
To add to your biased opinions of teams, the preconceived ideas of preseason rankings are like throwing darts at a board now more than ever. With the portal, there is no way any expert in the country can even remotely rank teams before they play. And I, I, I don't think there is any better example of that phenomenon, Ted, than Colorado. And I remember going on these airwaves yeah. after Colorado beat TCU to open the year. And, of course, Deion Sanders asking people, do you believe now? And Colorado, is, I mean, the hype train has already up and left the station. And I remember telling folks at that point, hey, like Colorado may be, like they may well be a really good team, but let's cool the Jets on crowning them because it is week one and we have no idea how good Colorado actually is and how good TCU actually is. Lo and behold, right. neither of those teams end up playing in a bowl at season's end. Well, it's interesting because even though most people were excited about or curious to see what was going to happen at Colorado and thought, okay, I think, you know, maybe something good goes down here, pretty much consensus was they're going to be terrible in year one. All right. There was just. Too many, they were too bad previously. You had to turn over too much of the roster. You know, there's a couple of really good players. Outside of that, they're just not good. They got no depth. They're not going to be good this first year. Win a handful of games, and that's an improvement. And they go beat TCU in that thrilling game, and everyone just totally ditches that and is like, they may win the Pac-12. They may win uh, the national championship this year. This is incredible. And, you know, it slowly it ended up being exactly what the consensus pretty much was before they ever played TCU. <laughs> you know, it's weird. Like, it ended up right back where it started. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough to predict, and especially for bowl games. I mean, how many teams out there outside of the – Outside of the playoff and some of the New Year six, how many teams are entering bowl season with a full roster? You know, very few, very few, very few these days. Um, Spartan Sooner on the text line says, "Parker and Teddy is an animal killer." Dang right, Spartan Sooner, <laughs> and don't you forget it. Lindsay on the text line uh, to kind of to kind of vamp off the point that you made last segment. Said. Lindsay on the text line says, I think the false rear view of OU is more fatigue. The second Alabama lost a game, Saban was no longer the king. People want an underdog. Yeah. That may be true. I, I mean, there's some, there's some truth to that. There's fatigue, but you know what I think the fatigue with Oklahoma is? I think people are tired of picking Oklahoma to be good and we just won't you know <laughs> I, yep we we had a, a long run there of great offenses great opportunity conference championships plenty of plenty of 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 chances to go out and actually prove that we belong and we stumbled every time and I think people were just, finally. It's like, well, you know, they were they were close because they had incredible offense. 
Well, now they don't have incredible offense, so they just won't be close anymore, even though we still finished with the top five offense this year. Right? Um, I don't know. I, 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 think it's, I think there's fatigue of being let down. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think we're ever going to get it back until we just go prove it. So um, I think some of that's going to come with beating some big names in the SEC. It's time to sink or swim. All right, uh, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Keep the text coming. Six five one three four three nine. Knippelmeyer text on. Hanging out Newcastle Casino. We'll be back. Rush is back. Teddy Lehman here. Parker Thune back in studio, filling in for Tyler McComas. Hanging out Newcastle Casino today. I forty four exit one zero seven. Anything? Interesting on the uh, on the text line right now. I, I'll tell you what. The um, how exciting is this hoops team? I am uh, I'm thrilled the way that they're playing. Uh, I know a bunch of people are. You know, we've kind of been asleep at the will over the last couple of years because you know they've been fighting through some hard times. Parker Moser hasn't had. I hadn't had a fair run of it. You know, it's been so tough for him. COVID. Uh, having to essentially put together two entirely new basketball teams, I guess a third, frankly. And um, it feels like he's he's got a formula right now. He's, the pieces he's put together have come together in a big way, and they look really good, man. They are a fun team to watch, too. Well, and the text we got last segment – essentially declaring that preseason rankings in college football mean nothing anymore because of how drastically the portal can affect some of these rosters. Just like if you think the portal has a drastic impact on football rosters, you are witnessing in real time how much greater of an impact it can have on turning over a basketball roster because Mm. Porter Moser's roster this year looks absolutely nothing like what he had last year. And who would have imagined that – a month and a half into the 2023-24 season, this OU Hoops team would be 10-0 and and ranked number seven in the nation. But this is what happens when you hit the portal hard, recruit athletes, identify guys that fit your system, go all out, give them the hard sell, and are able to reel them in. This is a really exciting bunch full of dudes that all execute their roles efficiently and effectively operate well within the confines of those roles and also like i think what's most impressive to me teddy is they just play frenetic basketball Mm -hmm. man like they are relentless from the minute that game tips off no matter who the opponent is whether it's green bay or the university of north carolina man they are going hard down the court on both ends nonstop. man and who would have thunk that we're going to have ourselves basically a top 10 matchup between North Carolina and Oklahoma? What the rankings came out, we were, what, 7 and North Carolina was 11? Um, how awesome is that? I mean, just, and I'll tell you, I think, uh, I think we got a really good shot. I, I think we beat them. Really? You're yeah. going there, huh? That would be that I mean that would be a statement if this team goes to and Porter after the game against Green Bay on Saturday night, Porter kind of he kind of threw some shade at whoever it is that 
organizes that quote unquote neutral site matchup because yeah. ba- basically insinuating, hey, look, Charlotte is not a neutral site for a game between Oklahoma and North Carolina. He said, we were there last year playing, and I don't even recall who he said they played, but he said, we were there playing somebody else entirely, and it was still powder blue all over those stands. Yeah. So North Carolina gets what is, in effect, a home game against the Sooners, and if Oklahoma can emerge from the fire and they can come through on the other side of that test victorious, they can knock off the number 11 Tar Heels. Man, that right there, like that is your signal that Oklahoma basketball has arrived mm-hmm. and that this is not just a flash in the pan because 10-0 is impressive. Any way you slice it, 10-0 is impressive. And it's really impressive when you sit down you watch this team play and you're cognizant of the reality that, man, they operate at one speed and have one mind, and it really does not matter who they're matched up against. They're playing the exact same brand of basketball any way you slice it. But, once again, I think it's all too easy to figure, especially if you've seen the way that this Oklahoma basketball program has hit a wall in Big 12 play year after year in the past. It's easy to figure, okay, well, they look really good right now, But what's going to happen when they start to face some of the better teams in college basketball, some of the more well-rounded programs on a week-in, week-out basis? And they will take their lumps when they get to Big 12 play. This team is not going to finish the season undefeated. They will lose several times along the way to good basketball teams. They're not going to run roughshod over the conference. But if they can knock off North Carolina next week, that is a legitimizing victory for this program, which is something that they don't really have right now. 10-0 again. It's 10-0, but they don't have a legitimizing victory on that resume yet. They would get one if they beat North Carolina. Yeah. It's undeniable at that point. If they beat North Carolina and are 11-0 with a win like that to go in with some other really nice wins, I mean... They're easily, if they can remain until the next rankings are done, they'd easily be a top five and, dare I say, top three? Huh. Crazy to think about, but you're right. This Big 12 slate is going to be brutal. You've got uh, four teams in the top ten, Kansas, Houston, Oklahoma, and Baylor, and uh, it really doesn't even matter what the – what the rankings are, we know that pretty much every single team that we play is going to be a very, very difficult out. I mean, it's just that's how it's always been. But um, I, I don't know. I think it's awesome. And how beautiful would it be to win the Big 12 in basketball on our way out? That would be incredible. Sheesh, I mean – Obviously, it would have been great to win the conference in football, but nobody really questions the viability of your football program heading into the SEC. If you're mm. fine, like the Big 12 historically, especially recently, Teddy, has been the best basketball conference in America. If the statement that you can make on your way into the SEC is, hey, we are the cream of the crop in the best basketball conference in America, and now here we come into the SEC. This conference will run through us. I mean, hello. That is a statement. That is a different kind of statement. Different level of statement. Yeah. 
you know, it would be it would be kind of cool to clean sweep it on our way out. You know, Texas won football. They did. Uh, I'm assuming they won volleyball. I I happened to click across and saw them in the uh, I guess NCAA tournament for volleyball is going on right now. Um, it would be nice. I think think we'll win softball. I mean, there's a solid chance for OU or Texas to win baseball. Clean sweep all the way across would be cool, wouldn't it? All the major sports. And a great point from a listener on the text line who says, man, Kansas brags that they finished our one-sided football rivalry with a win. Let's do the same at Allen Fieldhouse. So close so many times. No kidding. Kansas is really good again this year. Uh, big shock there. But, no, uh, good stuff. I mean, it's uh, it's going to be a fun year for sure. All right, let's hit a quick timeout, and we'll come back, and we will wrap up our number one here from Newcastle Casino next. Rush is back. Final segment, hour number one, Newcastle Casino, I-44 exit 107. Let's hit a couple of text messages, shall we, before we close up the hour. What do we got popping there? This listener in the 918 on the topic of Sooner Hoops says, Hope I'm wrong, but this season reminds me of Kelvin Sampson's team in 2004. Started out something like 10-0 and and ranked number 7. Sampson warned the record was misleading, and sure enough, the team lost its next four and finished 20-11. and Hmm. I don't know, man. Like, could that happen? Absolutely, especially because you play ball in the Big 12, which, again, is the toughest basketball conference in America. But, man, just listen to the way that Porter Moser talks about this team. And, obviously, Porter's going to have a better beat on his team than anybody. Now, that texter referenced the fact that Kelvin Sampson told people OU's record, 10-0 record to start that year, was misleading. I don't think – I don't think, and it doesn't seem that Porter thinks either, that there is anything misleading about the Sooners being 10-0 thus far. Yeah. No, I, I've i asked I've asked a lot of people, um, you know, uh, that know what they're talking about whenever they're watching basketball and have, you know, are evaluating it, watching the film, all of that, and because I'm like, this is whenever we were 11. I was like, 11? I mean, they're good, but are we really are we really that good? And a couple were shocked that we weren't ranked higher with how good we are. So, <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm I, – I, currently, I'm, um, I'm still cautiously optimistic, but McCollum is legit. We can win multiple ways – uh, I don't think we are a, I don't, you know, we're not as deep as, as a lot of the other top 10 teams that are, you know, kind of here year in, year out. We've, we've got some of our weaknesses, but, you know, we're kind of built like a tournament team, <laughs> you know? Oh, you can say that again. I, and look, you don't have to be a basketball guru. To watch Oklahoma this year, and if you've watched the Sooner Hoops teams of past years, it is not that hard to show up to the Lloyd Noble Center or to turn on your TV this year 
and watch the product that Porter Moser is putting out on a week-to-week basis, watch the way that they play, and conclude, okay, this team's built different because they mm-hmm. are. Yeah. No, it it, it, uh, it feels like that. It feels feels pretty good. feels fun. It, it, like, no matter what, it's going to be the best team that he's been able to field here by some margin. Um, we're going to be a dangerous team in the Big 12, and we're going to be a really dangerous team in the tournament because right? th- this team is, is built for the tournament. I right? can shoot, guard play. Um, I love that we've got a, a, a scorer in McCollum that has maybe the best handle. And we talked about this last week, Tyler and I did. He's got maybe the best handle that we've had with a scorer at Oklahoma in a while outside yep. of outside of Trey Young. And he's got he's got a better supporting cast and you know they've got they operate under a better system than what we had then. So uh, should be fun, man. A listener in the five eighty asks, Crystal ball for the O lineman from Michigan State. What's the T, Parker? Okay, here's the deal. We touched on this a little bit at the end of last hour, towards the end of last hour. The Sooners are in pursuit of two portal offensive linemen, Fabechi Nawawu, formerly of North Texas, and Gino Vandemark, formerly of Michigan State. I feel quite confident that Oklahoma ends up with Nawawu. I am pretty confident, albeit less so, that they get Gino Vandemark because what I know is that there is a substantial financial offer on the table for him to return to East Lansing. So, now I mentioned it last hour, the the comment that was made to me about a lot of elite players having to choose between Oklahoma and money. Mm. This might be a situation where you have to choose between Oklahoma and money. And Gino Vandemark, you know, if you're trying to position yourself, because he's an upperclassman, right? So if you're trying to position yourself such that you want to hear your name called on draft day next year or the year after, are you better off? going back to Michigan State, getting a good chunk of change in the short term, or do you feel confident enough in yourself to step out on a limb, submit yourself to everything that Bill Biedenboe is going to coach you up on, commit to Oklahoma, come to Norman, and be willing to embrace Biedenboe's process for a year or two and trust that the same guy – that has produced so many NFL caliber linemen, even those on shorter timetables like Ben Powers, who came via the JUCO circuit. Beanbo's produced so many NFL linemen over the years. Do you trust that you can become one of the next? Because end yeah. of the day, like, it comes down to your confidence in yourself. If you don't think you're an NFL football player, the decision that you're making is probably going back to Michigan State because you want to get what you can while you can get it. Right. But if you think you've got an NFL ceiling – Now's the time to prove it, and Oklahoma is the choice to make if you're ready to prove it. Well, you know, back to the the money aspect of things, I, I don't know what the future is going to look like. The collective stuff is it, it's so it's constantly changing, whether it's going to be a collective, whether it's going to be done through the university. Um, you know, it's always changing, so it's hard to it's hard to really jump out in front of it and just try and push it. But we we 
if, if it isn't apparent to the fan base already, I don't know how it ever will be. We have to raise more money for NIL. And I get it. I, it's not something that I, I, I wish it wasn't about that. I wish it was about just straight up you recruit off of your staff, your program, like like how good the future looks for your team. I wish that's how it was. But it's not going to get that way ever again. It's going to be about money, and we are not anywhere near where we need to be financially for NIL moving forward. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Hour number two is next. Rush is back. Hour number two. Teddy Lamon here, Parker Thune, hanging out back in studio, filling in for Tyler McComas. Special Rush edition. I'm here at Newcastle Casino, I-44, exit 107. Signing day coming up on Wednesday. Doesn't feel like we're in for any surprises, but I guess you just, you can never be too sure. And I don't think anyone around here or anywhere for that matter is all that comfortable going into the early signing periods you feel like especially now in the nil period or nil era rather that it it all it takes is a phone call and an offer to pick off maybe even your most uh you know deeply committed recruit so it's always nervous until the ink hits the paper and even after that so uh it feels feels pretty good top six class like if if they were to add perhaps the McKinley kid, who is he hasn't decommitted, but he's not signing at the early signing period, what would that do to what is right now a number six ranked class? Well, it'd be another massive boost. I mean, obviously, you added Eddie Pierre Lewis to the class on Friday that lifted you from number eight to number six nationally, or number nine to number six. Actually, it was is what it might have been, but. At this point, you're knocking on the door of having a top-five class, and there will be other programs that make splash additions. Texas just flipped a five-star safety from Florida earlier mm. this afternoon. So you're not the only program that's going to be making moves. The rankings aren't static, save for what you do. So it may mean you move up one spot. It may mean you move up three spots. But landing a guy like Dominic McKinley, who's considered across the board to be a top-50 player nationally, uh, obviously that's going to be a significant lift to your overall class ranking. That's also just another guy that can come in next to David Stone and Jaden Jackson and offer you more options because he's capable of slotting into that group in year one and contending for playing time. Yeah, yep. Um, which it was big over the weekend to uh, to hear that we're getting Dejon Terry and Jacob Lacey back. Um, I was under the impression that neither one of those guys had any eligibility left, oh, really? <laughs> which, you know, shows you what I know. I don't know anything whenever it comes to, I, I'm sorry, maybe I'm old school, but when it says senior next to your name, I'm under the impression that you have zero eligibility left. I'm sorry. That's just kind of how I, uh, how I grew up, I guess. COVID um, made it all very confusing. I know. And 
COVID and guys playing at four or five different schools, I feel like there's no end to eligibility anymore. But it was good to hear those guys are coming back. Now, um, I don't think either one of those guys are are going to blow anyone's doors off next year. But it, they're good, solid depth. And I saw some good stuff from Jacob Lacey at times. Whenever he plays with good pad level, he's got some juice now. Um, and you got to remember that his development was severely offset by the illness or whatever you call it. The, I think it was blood clot issue that he had going on really set him back. So you'd think or hope that he has a full run of it. And I think what Dejon Terry did kind of underappreciated think our defensive line interior had a solid year. They didn't have a huge productive year as far as sacks and and stuff like that, but I thought he, he offered some really good um, snaps out there and can continue to improve, but it adds some stability on the line of scrimmage going into the SEC that you know I was really worried about. By the way, a uh, texter just brought it to our attention. That's Cherokee Sooner, by the way, with the scoop. Chandler Morris is back in the transfer portal, former Oklahoma quarterback who spent the last three seasons at TCU. Uh, strange but true, Teddy, every single high school quarterback that Mule Shoe himself, Lincoln Riley, has ever signed has ended up in the transfer portal at some point in their careers. Now... I'd love to jump all over that, but I feel like every quarterback in the entire country in Power 5 football that has signed somewhere has entered the transfer portal. I don't think that's unique to Lincoln Riley or to Oklahoma or to anywhere. You go somewhere for a couple of years, if you're in the rotation, maybe you stay. If you're not, you're gone, right? Isn't that kind of what it feels like? And it's – well, and we had a text a while back from a listener in Tennessee who said NIL is just a pure money grab now for upper-tier talent. Is there a limit on how many times they can transfer? If not, I have no doubt Walter Nolan will be back in the portal again next year. But it, it rings especially true for quarterbacks because – the market is so bonkers, so off the rails, Teddy. And you heard Matt Rule's comments about it a couple weeks ago where he basically said, look, if you want to get a quarterback worth their salt in the transfer portal, you got to pay at least a million and a half, $2 million. If you're a quarterback who has been productive at the Power 5 level, even the Group of 5 level, and if you're the very cream of the crop in the FCS, you can hit the transfer portal and get paid more money than you have ever seen in your life for one year at a particular institution. Yeah. Yep. It's crazy. Um, I, you know, we heard the, the new NCAA president throw up the, the, the different subdivision where, you know, governed by the NCAA or under the umbrella of the NCAA, but it's basically an opt-in. You want to play with the big boys. You want to spend the money. You want to, you want to go about things that way. We're going to do it under one umbrella. Um, they're going to develop some rules that everyone's going to follow, and 
put the guidelines in that way, and off we go. And I feel like that's going to happen. It's going to happen hopefully sooner rather than later so you can get a handle on this thing a little bit because you should not be able to transfer whenever you want, wherever you want. I'm sorry. I There may be some people out there that feel like, oh, but these kids are, you know, it's the coaches can leave. I, whatever. Well, make it to where coaches can't leave. I don't care about the coaches, okay? I, I, I Frankly, I don't care about the coaches. I, I think that the coaches' contracts are ridiculous. I think it's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, but the fact that you can transfer wherever you want, like, just make the rules and stick with them. I mean, it's college football. If if you want to play college football, you can't transfer five times. It's not that difficult. And you don't have to go to court to prove it. Just put in some guidelines and stick with it and have them not be ridiculous and be able to work with guys if something comes up. You know, I it seems like such an easy thing to work through but we've screwed it up so massively that you may not ever be able to get it under control anymore this listener in the 615 chime back in says it has to have some guardrails before next year right otherwise it's literally going to be year-to-year contracts but without the contract and no accountability for the players yeah the direction this thing is headed uh the way it was phrased to me by somebody who is way deeper entrenched in the NIL and transfer portal end of things than I am. They told me over the weekend uh, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets any better. Also uh, expected to enter the transfer portal as of today, former five-star defensive back and USC Trojan, Damani Jackson, best known in Sooner circles as... Trivia question here, Ted. Damani Jackson, what he's known to in Sooner circles? Yes. He was committed. Are you saying was he committed to Oklahoma? He was never committed to Oklahoma. Okay. However, Damani Jackson, I'll give you the answer. Damani Jackson was the player that Roy Manning was recruiting to two schools uh, at once. I see. I see. Huh. Well, USC is – they're in an interesting spot right now. Um, they've got a brutal bowl game against a angry Louisville team that's really good, coached really well, and they just don't have anyone available for their bowl game. <laughs> <laughs> USC, it, like, defensively, they are – they've lost – portal guys they've lost lost opt-out guys going to the league on top of being banged up they don't have their quarterback that happened to do absolutely everything for them uh, amongst other guys that are gone uh, it they're having a hard time even practicing they don't have enough players for for scout teams and stuff to prepare for the bowl game it's brutal and again, it's going to be a tough. It would be a, would have been a tough bowl game if they were at full strength. Here's a question for you: Who's the next head coach of the LA Chargers? 
Man, I don't know. Um, I'll tell you this, though. If Lincoln Riley is offered a decent job anywhere, he's leaving. Right? Okay, well, you you, got to elaborate a little bit more now. Well, I'm just saying, like, the narrative around the program and, like, what their roster currently looks like, where are they in recruiting rankings? I mean, it's not good, right? Uh, They're maybe number 18, 19 as of last check, something like that. Huh. They just hired away former North Dakota State head coach Matt Entz, a two-time FCS national champion, to coach linebackers, which I I don't know what's going to happen with your man Brian Odom out there, but they basically hired over his job, which was weird. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's gone. He's not going to be there. Um but I, I, they're about to. Their schedule is tough again next year. They're entering a new conference. I, he doesn't have. It's the first time he doesn't have a sure thing at quarterback in a long time. Right? When's the last time he's yeah. in a position he is right now at quarterback? Am, am I the only one that's just complete? Because it looks like they're going to get Will Howard. It looks like former Kansas State quarterback Will Howard is going to transfer to USC and be their projected starter heading into next year. Am I the only one that's just super weirded out by that fit? Not a good fit at all. Not a good fit at all. Yeah, that's well, I mean that's what I'm saying though. He he's gone from Baker to Kyler to Jalen, to Radler, to Caleb, to Will Howard. <laughs> There's a major drop off there. Major that, drop off. That's what I'm saying. Is I he has to be he has to be like really worried. Their roster is in serious trouble. And oh yeah, the roster is not good. The it's roster's not a good not roster. Good. They're going to have to spend big money in the portal once again this offseason to shore up some of those weaknesses. They're going to have to spend big money, but they're just like the narrative, the perception is reality situation with them defensively is going to be brutal to overcome. And maybe they're going to be able to do it and go out and get some guys in the portal, but. You know, it's just going to be Band-Aid. They got no culture there to build around. I don't know, man. And also, do you think he wants any part of a 15-degree Saturday evening game in November in Evanston, Illinois? Because if he sees USC through their transition to the Big Ten, that's the type of stuff that USC is going to have to deal with. They're going to be playing 15-degree games in Evanston, and Iowa City and Madison, Wisconsin in October and November. Which I guess, like, makes it it makes sense a little bit why maybe he's going the direction of, of Will Howard. Someone that, that plays in that type of environment is, he's a big, I mean, he's 6'5", 250 pounds, big, hardy, quarterback that can withstand some punishment 
But still, I mean, it, it's – I mean, Will Howard is a Big Ten quarterback, right? I mean, that's what you think of when it's you think of Big true. Ten quarterback. But, I mean, that's a departure for Lincoln Riley. I mean, he must be wholesale changing his entire system for what, what they're about to, to get into. But I, I guess my point is, if you could ever hire Lincoln Riley on the cheap, right now is the time to do it. And uh, USC fans, I think, would be just as angry with Lincoln Riley as Oklahoma fans would be because as hard as it is to say it, I think he would be leaving that program in worse condition than he found it if he left right now. Wow. Don't you think? I, no, you're not wrong, but I just hadn't thought about it through that lens. It's true, though. And, again, if he is still coaching at USC next year, he is arguably the most forward-thinking, innovative offensive coach in college football, and you are uprooting him from what was the Pac-12, what has been the Pac-12, and you are dropping him straight into the most antiquated football conference in America from a stylistic standpoint. I mean, all of the stuff that Lincoln Riley does is so completely foreign to the Big Ten, which Mm -hmm. leads to some very glaring natural questions as to whether it's ever going to take root in the Big Ten. Yeah. He's never going to be able to take root in the Big Ten. Yeah. I, I You know, I, I'm i not as worried about Lincoln Riley's system in the Big Ten as I am Lincoln Riley's roster. I, he just does not have a roster right now. And that's fair, too. You know, that, that's that's the main problem that he's, he's facing. And I just... I th- it just feels like all of the all of the shine, the luster is worn off Lincoln Riley right now, and it doesn't it doesn't feel good. And it's going to be hard hard for them to get defensive players in the portal. I mean, I know they're going to pay big money, but if you're a big money player in the portal defensively, you're an NFL player. And if you're an NFL player, you ain't going to go play for Lincoln Riley on defense right now. A uh, bit of breaking news as we get okay. ready to hit a break. Uh, your boy Dylan Rayola is officially a Nebraska Cornhusker. Oh, How man. How about it? I'm telling you, I I think that that is – I think it's great for Dylan. I think it's great for Nebraska. And I think it's great for college football. You know? And trust me, I get it. I know that he's not going to Nebraska just because he decided it'd be cool to go play where his dad played. I know that there's a lot of money involved. So, I'm, I mean, I'm not, not saying that that's not a huge – but I still think – I think it's a great move all the way around. And Nebraska, it, they're – I don't know, man. I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to win the – the Big Ten anytime soon, but they are definitely on the right trajectory to to bring that program from the depths of which they've been suffering for so long. So I'm excited about it. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Hanging out at Newcastle Casino. Stay tuned. Rush is back. Teddy Lemon here. Parker Thune back in studio. Tyler McComas out. 
I think it was. Is he out today and tomorrow? Is that right? Today and tomorrow. No Tyler McComas, yes. So it's you yeah. and I again tomorrow. Oh, man, what a treat that is for the listeners. S-tier broadcast going on right now. The animal killer, as it has animal been dubbed. Animal killer. Uh, yeah, I love it. Been a lot of fun. Um, hey, we haven't talked about this yet. What was your uh, reaction? What do you think of next year's football schedule? I mean, in as much so as it can be in the SEC, that is a very run-of-the-mill schedule. Like, it's Mm. not Murderer's Row. It's not a cakewalk either. You don't have Vanderbilt, and you don't have Georgia. Right? You got a lot of matchups with those middle-tier SEC teams that could be good, could be not so good, depending on what they do in the portal. Missouri, I think Missouri's on the verge of making a couple moves in the portal that could really, really solidify that roster heading into next year and give Eli Drinkwitz a pretty formidable roster. Yeah. And what that was—is that going to be year five for him at this point? Gosh, boy, what a year this has been for him, huh? But yeah, and look, I think Missouri's going to reload. I'm interested to see what happens with Auburn. Interested to see whether Nico is all he's cracked up to be as the starting quarterback at Tennessee. But without a doubt, looking at that schedule, the absolute hardest portion of it is that final two-game swing where Mm. you get Alabama at home and then you have to travel to Baton Rouge on Thanksgiving weekend. That right there is your welcome to the SEC moment if you haven't felt it already by that point. No kidding. I'll tell you, um, it's also it's interesting – there's a, there's a chance that we play both teams that play in the national championship game. Um, maybe that doesn't happen, but maybe your national champion also. I mean, uh, Texas and Alabama, I mean, there's a, there's a strong chance that that's your national championship game. Um, and if that's the case, we play both of them next year. So I, that's got to be pretty rare to play both teams that were in the national championship uh, in one year, right, in the previous. So uh, that's interesting. Um, The road games are great. Home games are great. I love how the bye weeks fell, plus the main game thrown in there. I think just all in all, uh, looks awesome. Going to be a lot of fun. And you could be in a position where late in the season – you're like welcoming the Alabama and LSU swing and saying, here we go. This is what we asked for. This is going to be awesome. Or there's a chance by that point you're saying, please, God, make it stop. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't think we'll be in that position. I think we'll do just fine with this schedule next year, but uh, it's going to be awesome going to be uh going to be really cool all right uh let's hit a text before we uh hit a timeout what do we got anything Ooh, let's let me, let me pick a good one here um e freaky from illinois says the riola flip is huge for nebraska but they also won't be able to hide behind the big 10 west like iowa did yeah iowa mm. has the most like they have the most I, I don't even know what the word would be their model of sustainable success and winning is not 
applicable to any other program in the country. Like no other pro- no other program in the country can replicate what Iowa continues to do year in right. and year out because it truly is one of a kind. The fact that you can win ten games, play in a conference championship, and still be in a position where you're very justifiably announcing by midseason that your offensive coordinator will not be returning. So that's something only Iowa can pull off. Yeah. Yep. It's um, it's interesting. Big Ten's going to be. Yeah. Big Ten is interesting. Like, okay, Oklahoma and Texas are going to the SEC, but it's still the SEC, and it's the most regionally located conference, and it's going to remain the most regionally located conference. The Big Ten, with the additions they've made over recent years, it is not the Big Ten anymore. <laughs> you know? I mean, it is like, – because when you think Big Ten, you think of a certain style of football. You think fall. You think weather. You, you know, we all know what we think of when you think Big Ten football. But you are sea to shining sea now with with the Big Ten, and it's it doesn't feel it's not going to feel anything like the Big Ten whenever you see some of the matchups that are happening. But the SEC that's not, the the SEC's the feeling of the conference isn't going to change at all, zero. So I don't know. It's going to be weird watching air quotes Big Ten next year, you know. Interesting question from Jeff in OKC. Do you think Matt Rule's short time in the NFL and working with free agency has given him an advantage now dealing with the transfer portal and NIL and explains his seemingly ahead-of-schedule turnaround? Sure. Sure. I think um, – I can't remember who I was having this conversation with. I uh, can't remember if it was on air or, or what, but – College football has become very close to the NFL in in terms of you almost need a a GM that manages salary cap to a certain degree. I mean, you've got a finite amount of NIL money to work with, or your NIL does, and you've got to allocate that responsibly. And you've got to do that through recruiting and transfer portals. So you've got to evaluate and allocate that money. And, you know, it's transfer portal. You've got to put put together a evaluation list of guys that are playing college football just like you do in the NFL. In, in the NFL, every NFL team has a war room. That In that room, they have uh, – they have evaluated and listed in order the grade that they have on every single player on an NFL roster currently. And that's, you're getting to that in college football. Now there's way more guys in college football, so you don't do it with every single guy that's playing. Um, You just probably do it with some high value targets and, some guys you come across or guys maybe that you had a relationship with previously and you have all those guys evaluated and graded and 
you know, should they enter the transfer portal, you've got a grade on them. You know how much you can value them in NIL. So, yeah, it's I would say yes to that. Matt Rule probably does have a jump on it. So he's, he's going to do good. You know, and it's he was the perfect hire at Nebraska, not even accounting for that NFL uh, and now the way it translates to college with the portal and stuff. So, yeah, well, that's a good text. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Hour number two rolls on next. Rush is back. Teddy Lehman here. Parker Thune hanging out in Newcastle Casino today. I-44 exit one. Oh, seven. Um, what do you think of Dylan Riola at Nebraska? You think he's is he going to be day one starter? You think that highly of him? Well, here's the deal, Ted. Nebraska had Kyle McCord, former Ohio State starter, wrapped around their finger if they wanted him, and then all of a sudden, what three four days ago? News broke that the two parties were going their separate ways. That only happens, in my mind, if there is an understanding that Dylan Raiola is your starter next year at Nebraska. Yeah. That is the only way I think that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I um, I think – yeah. I mean, he's he's not necessarily he's he's a passer. He's not really a dual threat guy. Is no, he? not really. Yeah, very pro style guy, which is fine. I mean, I think that that's. I mean, I, th- I think that that's probably the better way to uh, the better way to do things. If you know, if you're a program now, obviously. I mean, ultimately, the most dangerous guy is a guy that. It, can do absolutely everything but you typically want your quarterback to play from the pocket for the most part if you can um i don't know man i'm i'm fascinated i hope it goes well i hope nebraska bounces back um i don't know we'll see what happens uh i'm at the point where i would like to see nebraska be good again now i may change my opinion if and when they are actually good again i may get tired of it very quickly (laughs) <laughs> but I'm at the point where I'm like, you know what? It would be kind of fun if Nebraska started winning again. Yeah. Well, it, here's the thing. You know, I, I, I often think that whenever you say, man, I, I'd like to see Nebraska bounce back and, and oh, it's never going to happen. I, You know, there's a difference between bouncing back and being a – a top 25 caliber program year in year out and like winning a national championship. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that Nebraska is going to bounce back and win a national championship anytime soon. I mean, that's, it's more difficult now to break through and win a national championship perhaps than it's ever been. And, you know, to even think about that is, is ridiculous at the moment. But I think it is totally reasonable to suggest that Nebraska can be a top 25 football program. That's not that difficult at all. It shouldn't be a – it comes back to my is Oklahoma SEC ready conversation. Well, there's a difference between being SEC ready or 
taking the throne from Alabama and Georgia. And I think way too many conflate those two things. You know, being SEC ready is like we can compete with everyone in the SEC right now. Are you going to be able to consistently beat Alabama and Georgia? No. But that doesn't mean SEC ready because if that was SEC ready, no one in the SEC is ready, right? <laughs> I mean, so I think it's the same thing with Nebraska being air quotes back. I mean, top 25 is fully within their capabilities, I think. So. A listener in the 918 says, Nebraska acting like a blue blood again. Mm. I'm happy for them. Somebody texted me last night. Because Nebraska basketball is also 9-2 and two, and throttled Kansas State at Bramlage over the weekend, uh, which is surprising because Nebraska is quite famously the only Power 5 basketball program that has never won a game in the NCAA tournament. Whoa. Somebody, yeah, no, that's the thing. No, that, that's legit. They've never, to this day, have never won a game in the NCAA tournament. Wow. Astonishing but true. And I got a text the other night. It said, Nebraska figured out how to fix a basketball program and buy a five-star quarterback before Florida did. Man. Yeah, what's going on with Florida right now? Are they having a purge going on too? Yeah, they're in shambles, man. And, like, what is – the way it was phrased to me in talking to some folks down there is there is a very real chance – that if DJ Lagway, their five-star quarterback commit, flips to Texas A&M before the end of the cycle, Billy Napier could lose his job. Billy Napier could get Greg Schiano'd because wow. there is there is nothing to get excited about with Florida football next year if you don't keep the five-star QB locked in. Well, what I, – I, I hear that and I understand it, but what would be their answer? What I mean, what what would be? I mean, I think that that would be a dumb move. But oh no, it would be a dumb move. There's dumb moves all the it time. It would be I mean, a dumb move because well, here's the deal, Ted. Florida is one of those schools that is continually trigger happy with firing coaches, yeah. notoriously so, and so. Yes, it, like they can take an example, and no Florida fan would even want – they would not want to hear any of this. They would not even entertain this discussion. But they could take an example from their intrastate rivals up in Tallahassee because Mike Norvell's first two years at Florida State were not pretty. No. And it wasn't quite a five-alarm fire, but it was at least a three- or four-alarm fire. They were patient with it. They let Norvell instill his culture, make some moves in the portal, and they gave it some time to gel, and it has gelled. It has gelled to the point that Florida State went 13-0 and this past season and should have been in the college football playoff. And may wreck the entire system uh, because they didn't make it into the playoff. Uh, I mean, that's interesting. Just think about it. What year – what was – Urban Myers last year at Florida. Eleven uh, thousand? No, I think it was two thousand ten. Was it ten? I think eleven was his first year at Ohio State. Was it really eleven? Was his first year at Ohio State? I think so. Well, because they won it. Well, they won it all in fourteen. Um, 
they were undefeated the year before that in 13. Maybe you're oh, – here's, you're... here's what it was. His last year at Florida was 2010. He took the 2011 season off, and his first year at Ohio State was 2012. That's yeah. what it was. Okay. How many coaches have they had since Urban Meyer left? Let's think here. Jim McElwain. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Muschamp. It was Muschamp before it was McElwain. You have Muschamp, McElwain, Mullen, and Napier. Four coaches in the span of 13 years. So, on average, each of those guys gets three-plus years. I feel like there was someone between Muschamp and McElwain. Was there really? I don't know. I feel like there was, but I could be wrong on that. Could be wrong on that. Um, but it's been a lot. Yeah, it's it's been constantly turning over. And it's just you can't ever get a foothold. You can't ever get traction before you're replacing everything, starting scrapping the system, trying to rebuild relationships. In, I mean, in an area like Florida for recruiting – like stability is like the most important thing that you can have yep. because you've, you've got, you've got such fertile recruiting area around you. You need to stay there for a long time to develop relationships with those schools and those programs. And they're just constantly turning it over. It's wild. Hmm. Well, and what I would tell you though, is not to generalize, not to overgeneralize, a lot of those Florida kids aren't committing anywhere for relationships' sake. A lot of those Florida kids are committing for money. And unfortunately, Florida, as a school, has fallen into the trap of believing that all they have to do to build a winner is pay everybody. It's not quite A&M, but it's verging on that territory, and it's turning sour very quickly on them. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's you have to resort to that whenever – you're constantly turning over and you don't you don't have relationships you don't have you know coaches long tenured coaches that are vouching for your program and you know at least get maybe getting you first in line with kids you know or speaking highly of you over and over to kids you know it's just you're you got new coaches new staff new coordinators new position coaches constantly turning over it's can't do it can't do it all right quick timeout more from the rush coming up final timeout of hour number two we'll wrap things up here in hour number two next here from newcastle rush is back final segment hour number two teddy Lehman here parker thune filling in for tyler mccomas and uh what a day it's been so far. Wide-ranging, recruiting, hoops, SEC, Nebraska, a little bit of USC sprinkled in there. We got anything good on the text line to take us into the top of the hour? Let's see. Let's peruse. Uh, listener in the 405, this is not a conversation for right now. Well, it might be if you can cover it in two minutes. But this listener says, Ted, please take a few minutes next hour to talk about the collective which one the university endorses, how it works, etc. I don't know how I would donate even if I wanted to. Yeah. I think that's the problem. Yeah, and I was going to say that that probably does play into it is people just don't know what they don't know, you know? Well, and I think there's been at least somewhat 
some maybe reluctance to really push it publicly because there's been so much change. And, it, you know, they were really close back, um, I think it was late summer. Or we were really close to, to going public with the, the stuff that they'd been working on that was going to make it a, a tax a, a, a tax deduction or, or whatever it is, um, a charitable contribution, I should say. And then the IRS came out and and said, nope, no more of that. So they had to like kind of hit reset on something they'd been working on for like eight months. And I think because of some of those things, it's they're reluctant to really jump full force behind something because it may change, you know, next week, this off season. So I think that's been part of it. But you know, I honestly that that is like really one of one of the problems that we've had is I don't think people know where to focus and put their money. Um, yeah. and, and hopefully we get get some some better guidance from the NCAA and everyone else so so we can actually make that available to people we're getting a lot of very recent texts about one topic in particular Uh i know where we're starting next hour because it goes back to something you mentioned in our number one of the show so i want to look back around to that and i'm sure our listeners would like that as well this would be interesting Okay, let's uh, let's do just that. After a quick timeout, we got the final hour of the rush coming up next. Rush is back. Taylor Lemon here. Parker Thune back in studio, hanging out Newcastle Casino I forty four exit one oh seven. All right, you hit me with it before the break that you got a bunch of text messages about something I said in hour number one. I hope it wasn't bad. Let's revisit. No. What was it? No, it's not bad at all because so, – so the comment in question, and by the way, we've just lost the internet here Uh-oh. at the studios. So whatever the text line is saying slash continues to say in real time, I do not have a beat on anymore. i have to wait for that to get oh, restored. Boy. But the comment you made was – you believe Oklahoma will take a linebacker in the transfer portal if it is the right linebacker. Now, there is a lot of noise being made on social media about the potential entry into the transfer portal for a guy that I regarded as perhaps the best linebacker prospect in the nation in the class of 2023 a guy who purportedly may be on the lookout for a new destination after just one year at his current institution. Ted, would Tackett Curtis be a guy that fits the bill of the right linebacker? Interesting. Uh, Why all of a sudden were people, did he put something out there? There is a tweet out from Fight on Rusty, who is best known for running the Message Board Genius's Twitter account, but is also a USC guy and allegedly pretty plugged in with 
the happenings surrounding the USC football program. And apparently he put out a tweet, doubled down on it, reaffirmed it's completely serious, that he believes Tackett Curtis is entering the transfer portal, which would actually make a ton of sense if you consider the fact that, as we discussed last hour, USC has seemingly recruited over Brian Odom as their linebacker's coach because Tackett Curtis committed to USC because of Brian Odom. That's yeah. the reason he was a USC Trojan out of high school and didn't go to somewhere like Ohio State or even Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, my opinion would be yes. Tackett Curtis is the right kind of player that we would uh, pursue in the transfer portal. Now, I, I don't. I guess I shouldn't say that. Tackett Curtis is the right type of linebacker that if I were University of Oklahoma head football coach Brent Venables, <laughs> that's the type of player that I would pursue. Yes, uh-huh. I can say that. Now, I don't know. I don't even know if they're considering taking a player in the portal at linebacker. It's just my my view of the position right now that it would make sense if the right player came available that perhaps they would because they never fully dialed in a starter at Mike linebacker. Now, do I think that Kanick or... Uh, Kobe McKenzie or um, Stutzman could end up being a starter. Mike, yeah, absolutely. I think all those guys, um, Stutzman could do it today. I think those other guys with good off seasons could absolutely do it. And you know, you could throw some other guys in the mix as well. You could throw Lewis Carter in there. You can throw, um, you know, Pachati's going to be coming back. Like, we have plenty of good options, but if the right player became available, I think that that's something that they may pursue. And, you know, Tackett Curtis is a he, – he's a really good athlete. He is a dude that is 100% invested in football and football only. Um, I think he he played quite a bit this year. He fought through a hamstring. Um, he fought through a hamstring and never really even said anything about it for a big portion of the season. And then finally, uh, he did say something about it, and he's probably not even going to be able to play in the bowl game um, because of it. So, and he, he's he's a tough kid, and I think what you see on film. The only reason I bring that up is because what you may see on film from him probably isn't the best he has to offer. And, again, throw in there that he's a, he's a true freshman. Um, I, think, I think he's an NFL player for sure, Tackett Curtis. So uh, if I were in the position to make the call, I'd be making the call. And I agree because <laughs> I got to cover Tackett Curtis a bit when he was in high school. Obviously, once Brian Odom left Oklahoma, it was pretty clear he wasn't going to be going there because Odom was his guy. And 
as much respect as he has and any linebacker has for what Brent Venables has accomplished, that relationship with Odom was tight enough that, honestly, at the time that Odom departed Oklahoma, the Sooners were probably the leaders in the clubhouse for Curtis's services. Mm-hmm. And USC was able to win a tight battle. I, I, I recall Ohio State was one of his final three. I know they beat out Ohio State. I can't recall who the third team was. I know he was never terribly interested in LSU, which is interesting because he's a kid that hails from Louisiana. But USC, it, it seemed kind of a weird cultural fit at the outset. But, again, that just speaks to how great of a job Brian Odom did recruiting that kid because him in L.A., man, it wasn't quite oil and water, but it's close. I mean, yeah. everything L.A. is about and everything that kid is about, they do not go hand-in-hand in, hand in the slightest. But – it was not at all a surprise to see him starting from the jump at USC at linebacker as a true freshman because that is a certifiably bad dude, the likes of which USC does not have on their roster at that position or any other position. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think he's, I think he has tremendous potential. I think he, he is a violent football player. He, his high school tape is some of the most violent football I've ever seen at that level. Yep. It's crazy. Um, now, I, I don't know. I don't have a. I don't have a real good feel for just like how football smart he is. Um, you know, you can appear football smart in high school. But when you get to the next level, it's like, oh, man, like this is a, because of the speed and the complexity of what you're doing, right? It can, it can kind of change the perception of whenever I, – I usually take it with a grain of salt whenever I hear that uh, a kid is like he's football smart, he's ahead of the curve, he's, you know, he, he's, he's able – he'll be able to pick up college defenses quickly. I – I typically don't even – like, I didn't even think of it. When, when they were – I was hearing it about Peyton Bowen, I was still just like, okay, yeah, we'll see. And yeah, I was proven wrong. But that's probably the only time I've ever been proven wrong <laughs> on, on, on someone being, like, smart enough and had been coached good enough to be able to pick up on a lot of the things as a freshman at one of those positions that – you know, at safety or linebacker, it's it's hard. Now you can play linebacker, and, and oftentimes do it really successfully without really knowing what you're doing out there. There's some guys that can do that. All right, I've seen it in the NFL even. So it doesn't always have to mean everything, but yeah, I would be I'd be all over Tackett Curtis if I felt like I had an opportunity and I was Oklahoma. Absolutely. Now, absolutely. You brought up Peyton Bowen, and I think what's interesting is, amidst all the buzz and all the hype and all the ballyhoo's surrounding the 2024 class that Oklahoma is set to ink on Wednesday, a guy that's been talked about alarmingly little is Peyton's younger brother, Eli. Yeah, who is committed to Oklahoma, four-star defensive back out of Denton, Texas, and he is two inches shorter than Peyton, so not quite as tall, not quite as long, but holds the school record 
for single-season interceptions at Denton. He picked off 10 passes in a season as a sophomore in high school. And there are those. Listen, I have been down to Guyer a lot. Hang on. Um, Did I just hear that correctly? Did you say picked off 10 passes in a season? As a sophomore, yes. Wow. Now, there are those that have seen a lot more Denton Geyer football than I have. There are those that have watched Peyton Bowen and Eli Bowen a lot more than I have. And I've seen both of them a decent amount. But there are people firmly entrenched in the DFW region who watch those guys week in and week out. And some of those folks, I bring this up every now and again, it's worth repeating, there are some of those folks that believe Eli is even better athletically and has an even higher ceiling than his brother. I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying that's a thought that people have and people like whose, whose opinion means something down there. And so Eli Bowen is kind of flying under the radar in Oklahoma's 2024 class. But if he gets to campus and he has anything close to the year one impact that his brother had, and his brother was hurt half the season. Like, if he does anything close to what Peyton did as a freshman, man, those two collectively are going to be quite the anchor for the Oklahoma secondary come 2025 in the SEC because they are special, man. Like, the one thing that just jumps out at you about them is that playing football looks so easy to those two. Yeah, It looks like they are playing on a different level of difficulty than everybody else yeah well here's the one thing i i would i i almost hope that he doesn't have the opportunity as quickly as his brother did if that makes sense yes you know, no i'm with you I, um i i one of the reasons peyton bone was able to play so quickly and he's gonna i mean he probably would have been able to anyways, and maybe his, his brother will as well. But it's like we just like – we we needed some star power there and we didn't have great depth, and he added to that. But if if, if he's he's the same type of player or perhaps has a higher ceiling or, or – I mean, it's – that's exciting. And I'll tell you, another guy that doesn't get talked about very much either is Boganowski. <laughs> and that dude yeah. is really he's a good. hitter. He's yeah. a hitter, dude. Like that, and I—I I don't know. I can't recall which listener to credit with this observation, but it is as concise and as perfect a summary of the type of football player that Michael Boganowski is as I have heard. We had a listener text in a while back and say Boganowski is a Big Twelve linebacker. He is an SEC safety. Mm. And yeah. that about sums it up. Six foot yeah. two, two hundred and five pounds, runs like a safety, hits like a linebacker. Yeah, he's going to be a fun player. And well, knowing how highly coveted he was amongst some of the other schools that were pursuing him, like Missouri had him number one on their board at linebacker. Which again, not even the position that he's going to play at Oklahoma. He was number one on Missouri's board at linebacker. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 wild. I, when you start to think about it, with uh, with Billy Bowman coming back, let's see. You got Billy Bowman. You got Robert Spears Jennings. You got Peyton Bowen. 
you got – who am I missing young guys on rostered right now? Uh, at safety specifically? Safety. Uh, you have Eric McCarty coming back off injury, Day McCullough. Um, yeah, Day McCullough. I think that's it as far as the All young right. guys are concerned. And then you add Boganowski and um, the other – Bowen, I, you got seven studs, absolute studs at safety. Um, they really like McCarty. He's going to be really good. I mean, it's just the whole group is great. The whole group is, is really good. Robert Spears Jennings, I think, um, you know, if he's able to stay healthy, which I worry about because he had the shoulder, and he is—he comes up and there is no hesitation. He is a violent football player, so I, I sometimes worry about his health holding up. But we got a chance to be really, really good in the future at safety. Exciting at safety. I mean, that may be because what's what's RSJ's? What's his classification? Is he a redshirt freshman? RSJ is a sophomore. He sophomore. played six games last year. So okay, did yeah. he? He'll have two um, years left next season. I, if you take Billy Bowman out of the mix and just look at the young guys moving forward, that may be six of the best young safeties in a room in all of college football. Now. Some guys will fade. Some guys may not live up to it. Some guys may be mad that they're not in rotation. Like it's going to be hard to keep everyone together. But that's a that's we're in a really good place. And, it feels like at safety. And I will add, I love me some Jaden Hardy too. He reminds me a lot of Delarian Turner Yell. When he gets to campus, he's going to be hard to keep off the field too. And so you want you want to talk competitive depth? Brandon Hall has got that right now. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, hmm. Looks really good. Looks really good. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Hanging out in Newcastle Casino, I-44, exit 107. Hit us on the text line, 651-3439. Rush is back. Taylor Lehman here at Parker Thune back in studio. Hanging out at Newcastle Casino, I-44, exit 107, 651-3439, Meyer text line. Matter of fact, let's go directly to it. We got anything cracking on there? Well, I had to get on cellular and log into the text line via my phone because the internet is still down here at the studios, but have no fear. I oh, do have. I forgot about I that. I do have the Meyer Chevrolet text line at our disposal. Uh, Teddy, I, sup- I suppose this question is probably directed more towards you than me because I know uh, you know Brian Odom personally. A listener, well, several listeners act- actually are asking questions along the lines of this text right here. Would BV bring Odom back to coach linebackers to help coach linebackers, or do they not share similar philosophies? Um. I, I cannot speak to what Brent Venables may or may not do. I, I have no idea. Um, do they have similar philosophies? 
I would say almost all linebacker coaches have similar philosophies. Like one coach may emphasize something a little bit different or different highlight different drills or you know i think there's most of it is pretty much the same there's just kind of a different approach to it so like i don't think that would ever be an issue it's just i i mean i I think it would just come down to more a little bit about like what positions do they have available and right now they don't have um a position job available so I don't know. Analysts question mark? Perhaps. I I don't know. I don't know. Uh, here's a take, an NIL-related take from a listener. Uh, let me say this, though. Yeah. I would, because I know there's probably a group of the fan base that thinks a certain way, perhaps, about Odom because of the the USC thing or the previous defense thing. Let me first say this. <laughs> yeah, please. Brian Odom would have loved to have stayed and continued to coach at Oklahoma. He did not want to go to. He didn't want want to leave and go to USC. But he didn't have a job at Oklahoma, and he did have a job at USC. He talked to Coach Venables when Coach Venables got here. Remember, Brian Odom stayed on, coached the team all the way through the bowl game. Matter of fact, did a hell of a job and called a hell of a game defensively and stayed on with those guys, recruited for Oklahoma the entire time, uh, recruited Danny Stutzman. Danny Stutzman committed to Oklahoma and wanted to come to Oklahoma pretty much sight unseen. Yep. Recruited Kip Lewis, recruited Kobe McKenzie, was committed here, wanted to come here, and whenever Odom wasn't going to retain the job, decommitted, but ended up coming back. Um, so like, he is like, – do not tie Brian Odom with, like, the way people feel about Lincoln Riley and the whole USC thing. He would have. He would have loved to have stayed here and continued to coach on this staff, like some of the guys on offense were able to. He just he wasn't able to. So, okay, sorry, just had to get that out there. An NIL related take from a listener here in the four hundred five. Most of your heavy NIL schools are supported by a handful of super rich donors. A couple have a single billionaire: Oregon, Miami, etc. Crowdsourcing from your average Joe isn't the answer, and I'm someone that gives fifty dollars a month to the Crimson and Cream Collective. I would love that. Huh? Now say that again. Sorry. So, this person's opinion is crowdsourcing nil funds from your average Joe isn't the answer, and this person is also they said they're someone that gives fifty dollars a month to the collective. Well, I don't, I mean, I guess I disagree. I disagree to a certain extent. I mean, crowdsourcing to the average Joe isn't the only answer for NIL. Um, But 
it's part of the answer to NIL. For example, um, I don't know. We have something like, at some point at least, we had like 65,000 season ticket holders or something like that at OU. If you had all of your season ticket holders, all of those seats, if those people gave $250, that's $16.2 million in NIL. And that's just throwing a number out there. And I know, okay, whatever. Maybe that's not a good number, but if you break that down to, uh, what's that break down to 20 bucks a month? Something like that is you get to 240 instead of the 250. You're talking about $15 million a year. I mean, that's not the biggest NIL fund out there, but that's a substantial one. And that's before you even talk about any of the, the large lump sum donations that are typically funding those things. So I, I kind of disagree that, I mean, it, it's not the only way to go about it, but it can be a big piece of the pie. It's 100% accurate, and yeah, I, I think you're right. I think when you think about just how much money adds up, depending on how many people you got, given a little here, a little there, look, $15 million a year, that's going to make some stuff happen. It's probably not yeah. going to make everything happen, but it'll make a lot of stuff happen in the NIL department. And yeah. that might be the difference because, for instance, I'll bring up Chris McClellan right now. Right now, the battle Oklahoma's fighting is Missouri and Colorado. They're willing to shell out major dollar amounts for Chris McClellan's services. And so you either have to pony up or put on your best salesman hat and convince the kid that he is better served to turn down better money elsewhere in order to come develop at the University of Oklahoma. And there's no guarantee the kid's going to be receptive to that. Some yeah. will be, some won't be. What, well, what what every kid's going to be receptive to is an offer of monetary value that matches whatever he's getting somewhere else. And I'll tell you the, the dangerous part of this, and I, the term dangerous really isn't, isn't right. But maybe the scary part of this for what it means for college football is you, you're, you're probably close to, you're about to cycle out any college football player that has a previous understanding of what it was like before NIL and before Transfer Portal. Those guys are about to be cycled out. And what that means is anyone else, it's all they know. And if it's all you know, like no one that you've seen or been around has played at the same school all the way through or has played without a, an NIL deal, or like that is the new normal for everyone. And when that's the new normal for everyone, I, in their mind, there's there's never been a college football where, where guys, what, play four years at the same place? What? 
without a without a big NIL deal? No way. So, like, that's what's really scary is the, the group coming in doesn't know or hasn't seen anything different. So there's not going to be anything keeping those guys from pursuing it every single year. Yeah, I mean, what you're seeing increasingly, and it's not news to anybody, but you're seeing the professionalization of college football to the point where you're exactly right. Like, this is just going to become the new normal to these kids. Like, they're they're not going to have a frame of reference for – whatever the previous era of college football entailed. And frankly, the vast majority of them are not going to care because what the deals that all their buddies are getting, all the conversations they're having with peers uh, in their group chats and via text and like everything that constitutes the new normal, everybody's going to get wrapped up in it. Yeah. That's just the way it's going to go. That's right. That's right. Yeah, interesting. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Final hour rolls on next. Stay tuned. Rush is back. Teddy Lehman here, Parker Thum, back in studio, hanging out at Newcastle Casino today. I-44 exit 107. Keep hitting the text line, 651-3439, Knipple Meyer text line. Um. Yep. You know, signing day's Wednesday. Feels like another really good class. Hopefully there aren't any bad surprises. Uh, but it feels like this group's pretty locked in. We got a quarterback. We got a uh, wide out, running back, tied in, uh, offensive line. Jeez, I guess on the offense, you just kind of hit every single position group, right, and hit a big-timer on all of them, um, which I guess with a recruiting class that's ranked number six and you got 27 commitments, there's not going to be a whole lot left out uh, whenever you're that high of top players. Um, what Have you followed uh, – why am I drawing a blank on the backer, the, the lone backer um, – Oh, oh, James Nesta. James Nesta. Yeah. Have you followed him, his his season much this year? What type of season did he have? I, gosh, I don't, I couldn't quote his stats offhand. What I do know is that that kid is an athletic stud, and he is a guy that the OU staff is so, so excited about because, and I know he doesn't get as much press as some of his peers in the class, but... Here is what everybody ought to know about the player and person that James Nesta is. This kid, A, if he wanted to go the baseball route, he could be an MLB draft pick next summer. And he had collegiate baseball offers from the time he was in seventh grade. Jeez. And if he had wanted to go all in with baseball, he could have done it at any point over the last five years. He would have had it made for himself. He would not have had to worry about getting college paid for. He literally did not have to play football in order to get a free college education. He did not. like, And and honestly, I would imagine many would have discouraged him from playing football at the high school level because anytime you play football, right, then you risk getting injured. You risk that carrying over into baseball season. You risk experiencing an injury that could permanently hamper or damage uh, something crucial to 
the delivery of pitching a baseball, you know, shoulder, elbow, all that type of stuff. James Nesta plays football because he loves playing football. And in talking with him on the uh, several occasions that I've gotten to, <laughs> like he he loves baseball, he's great at baseball, but football is his passion and that's the reason why he has continued not just to play football, but to put in the requisite work and effort via training in the weight room, etc. That this is the reason why he is in position to be a blue chip signee as a football player, in addition to one of the most coveted high school baseball prospects in the country. Again, he didn't have to do any of this. He did not have to continue to give his time and attention to the sport of football. He has. He's very intent on playing both sports, loves both sports, and he gives them both their equal due in his schedule and in his allotment of time and energy. So obviously you get a kid like that with that type of work ethic, there's a ton of reason to be excited about what he'll bring to the table at Oklahoma. Yeah, and then you've got a couple of good baseball players uh, on that with Nesta and um, the Tatum kid are – do you expect both to actually play baseball? Yes, both of them are going to play baseball. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't think at least immediately there would be any reason for the two of them to deviate from those plans because like Tatum and Nesta, those again, those dudes don't just moonlight as baseball players. They love baseball yeah. and they're both really really good at it. Like these it almost legit. sounds like Tatum's like maybe that's is that really his love is baseball? Like that's his, is that his first sport if you had to pick? Man, I I've had several conversations regarding Taylor Tatum's pursuit of both sports in the long run. Just trying to gauge from people more knowledgeable than me about that particular situation. Hey, like what do you think's more likely? Taylor Tatum gives up football to focus on baseball or gives up baseball to focus on football? And what I've continually gotten time and again is as good as that kid is at football, and he is really good at football, he is an even better baseball player. Mm. So I don't know, man. Maybe it's like a Kyler Murray deal where he ends up good enough and with enough pro stock in both sports that he has a win-win type of decision to make. Either he makes a bunch of money at the next level in one sport or he makes a bunch of money at the next level in another sport. Well, I'll I'll just tell you, running back – is 100% a position where you can go play baseball in the spring and if I'm a coach, it ain't a big deal. I mean, if, as long as you are a – as long as you're a guy that handles your business and, like, I don't have to worry about you and, like, you don't you're, – you're, you're a smart kid and I – Running back, if you can do it physically, there ain't a whole lot going on uh, as far as uh, having to learn a bunch of stuff. You got to learn protections. You got to learn some route stuff. And obviously, you got to understand the learning game and get, or the running game and get good at it. But it's not like, like if I had a safety or if I had a, a like, Nesta linebackers, that's a tough one now. There's so much going on mentally at those positions that it's hard to miss spring for development. Like technique, 
is so critical at those spots to be at like at running back if you can if you can hold the football and make guys miss and lower your head and like if you can do that you can do that now they can coach you and you can get better at it but like technique wise you got to have great technique and and skill set to be able to get off a block from a 330 pound guard that's not something you just show up and do no you know what i'm saying so it's kind of a different like nest that's a that's a tougher that's a tougher one there especially whenever the head football coach is a linebacker coach uh-huh. and the psychotic one at that <laughs> <laughs> by the way uh, the smoke surrounding the potential of Tackett Curtis to the transfer portal is intensifying. Really? Yes. Now being picked up and confirmed by multiple reporters. Hmm. Yeah. So, well, again, if that is, to use your terminology, the right linebacker for Oklahoma to take via the transfer portal, like, again, I think that is the type of dude that you just make space for. One way or another. Like, get that dude to Norman. But no doubt he will have numerous high-end suitors if and when he decides to enter the portal. Yeah. Nope. There is no doubt about that. He'll be uh, he'll be without a team for five minutes uh, if he wants to. Mm. Uh, just a technicality on the getting in and out of the portal. So, yeah. Um, Man, again, he checks. He checks every box. Physical as you could possibly be. Tough as nails. Loves the game and is totally eaten up by it. Um. You know, I I I don't know. Like I don't know like how he did in the system as far as learning it out there in year one as a true freshman. My guess is he had ups and downs. Um. You know. It, that would that would make him a true freshman. Okay, that's just that's typically how it goes. Anthony Hill down at Texas played really good, got some accolades, but whenever you go watch it on film and watch him every single snap, he is he is lost to the world about fifty percent of the time. Now, whenever he sees something and he can go get the football, he can go get the football now. And that's the same thing with Tackett Curtis. It's just, you know, all of the other stuff can can be a lot. But he, he'll, he'll get caught up quick no matter where he goes. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. We will wrap things up here from Newcastle Casino next. Rush is back. Final segment of the day, Parker Thune, Teddy Lehman. It's been fun, Parker. This is good. Maybe we should. Uh, maybe we should send Tyler uh, with Steely for a while just to feel it out, see how it goes. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Been good though. We have anything good that we should um, end the day on on the text line? Or is it still down? It is well. The internet here is still down. I have access to the text line on my phone. Apparently, uh, it is. It is now official. Tackett Curtis is getting in the transfer portal. Uh, it's been reported he is headed there. So, I mean, man, like that is. 
That is the one dude that USC could kind of build around for the future on the defensive side of the ball. And now he's gone. Yeah. Um, man, it would be quite the uh, – that would be quite the – if Oklahoma were able to, to pull something like that off, uh, you know, I, number one, I don't even know if Venables is interested in pursuing a linebacker in the transfer portal, number one. You know, I had said if it were me, I would be looking for the right player that can really come in. And, like, the one thing about Tackett is, like, I would have said you need a, like, a legitimate multi, a guy that's been a multi-year starter at a legitimate place is what I would have. That's what I was thinking when I said the right guy. Tackett is – he has such a large upside that I think you would make that move if you had the opportunity to, even though he doesn't really check that box of what I was really thinking. Um, just because I, I, th- like, I think he's an NFL-type player, and, you know, I, I think that – he could, it, at a minimum, be a legitimate competitor for that Mike Backer spot and may have a, a really good chance to ultimately win it. Um, but what if you what if you flipped old Braden Platt and uh, and got a portal entry oh, from smokes. old Tackett Curtis? <laughs> That'd play. Because you did say that Oklahoma is, like, in the – like they're one of the teams that may be in the running for Braden Platt, right? Well, they're the only other team that's in the running. Like if if for whatever reason he wouldn't sign with Oregon, the school he would likely end up with, if not Oregon, almost certainly end up with, if not Oregon, would be Oklahoma. Yeah. Well, interesting times, and we still got. Do we still have some opportunities? Um, in the transfer portal for defensive linemen? I mean, Chris McClellan is the guy you're waiting on right now. And then depending on what happens down the, down the road with DJ Hicks, I think that's going to determine yeah. Oklahoma's path forward as it pertains to pursuing portal linemen. Well, there you go. All right, well, that's it for us. It was fun. We're going to do it again tomorrow, another four-hour day for Parker Thune and myself. All right. Thanks to Newcastle Casino for having us out. You guys killed it on the text line as always. You drive the show. We're just along for the ride. Let's go have an ice cold Pacifico.